Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Laurie Hermance Moore. Laurie is a history geek turned librarian, digital agency strategist, and professional genealogist. Her passion is helping individuals connect with the people that matter to them, their ancestors. As a researcher, Laurie loves finding those elusive records that will solve a mystery and create experiences for her clients that bring an ancestor to life in the context of history. Her expertise is in the Midwestern States research. Welcome, Laurie. How are you today? Doing great, Terry. Thanks so much for inviting me on your show. I'm happy to have you because this is definitely a subject that my boomers are interested. I can almost guarantee that. (laughs) (laughs) I run into a lot of boomers when I'm out doing genealogy research. You know, I bet because not everything's online. And sometimes we go to libraries and courthouses and so on. And there's a lot of people doing history research. Good. Well, that's good. So you can help us with where to look and what to do. So maybe you can explain a little bit about exactly what a genealogist does in case someone in the audience doesn't understand. Absolutely. So a genealogist, uh, you know, the stereotype is that we chase dead people and hang out in cemeteries. (laughs) That's probably true to some extent. Genealogists get pretty excited when they drive past an old cemetery, but, you know, (laughs) there's a little more to it than that. So what a genealogist does, and especially what a professional genealogist does, is that we really work hard to make sure that we've looked at all the available records, that we're comparing sources, we're comparing information, we're resolving conflicts, because sometimes you'll have one record that says one thing, and sometimes it'll say something else. But I'd say the bottom line of at least a professional genealogist is that we make sure that we're separating identities, that, you know, two men named John Smith are not necessarily the same man. And that's where a lot of mistakes get made is people attached to the wrong ancestor. So we make sure that we have the right one using all kinds of factors for identity. And then the other is to connect correctly between generations. So whether you're moving backward in time or you're coming forward in time to build families, you want to make sure that you're connecting the right parents and children. Oh, yeah, that's very important. Now, before we go on, I did want to learn a little bit about your background. I was going to ask that first. So give us your background and what led you up to this, because I think that's an important part of everything. (laughs) Well, I started out as a history major, a U.S. history major, you know, back in the 80s, right? And really enjoyed doing history, but couldn't quite figure out what to do with it. So I became a reference librarian. And and I love being a reference librarian. I loved using sources and trying to answer questions. And you know, eventually came around to, I got interested in marketing research. So I became a marketing research director for about 20 years. But maybe about seven years ago, we lived in a Victorian house. My husband and I were restoring this house and I got really interested in the people who had lived there. And I started doing the research on them and I found all kinds of crazy things. Like, you know, there had been a wedding in our front parlor of a young woman who had just graduated from Ohio State University. And this was in 
1912, <laughs> but wow. she had just graduated and then got married the same day. And then also finding, for example, my husband accidentally found the signature of the first owner of the house that he had etched in charcoal under our basement stairs. But I knew who that man was because I had done the research on him. And that started getting me hooked on, you can learn about who lived in a home or whatever. But I had one problem, which was that I was adopted. So I hadn't been able to research my own family, but I set out to find my birth family and I did. And now we're in contact. My husband is also adopted and we found his family as well. But that kind of opened the doors for me to do research on my own family. And I got so hooked that I decided that I wanted genealogy to be my final career. So I had already changed careers you know, once, but decided I'm going to do it one more time. So I worked to become accredited so that I could, you know, come in at a high level and got accredited in Midwest states because I was born in Missouri and live in Ohio and kind of cover everything in between now, as well as some other states. But it was one of those things where I was looking at, well, what can I, what type of job can I do moving into my 60s as my final career that makes sense for me? I'm a baby boomer kind of barely by a couple years, you know, but I'm thinking hard about, you know, what's flexible and wanted to, I felt like I would be disappointed in myself if I didn't try to run my own business. Good. I'm happy to hear that. It was really my last opportunity to do so. I felt like it was my last opportunity, you know, going into my 60s. So so that's why I created Heritage Bridge, which is my company. And I serve attorneys with probate and heir research. When, for example, someone dies without an intestate, they die without a will. If it's a situation where it's not obvious who the family is, sometimes the attorney needs help to build out the family tree, particularly if in that state it's going to be, say, cousins who inherit you know, you construct that whole forward in time to find the living people rather than the dead people. So it works opposite the most genealogy where you're going back in time and looking for ancestors. Right, Um, Right. So I do that, but I also serve individuals with family history research. Interesting. You know, when my family's from Germany, so when I went back to Germany, Ah, I think like five years ago, seven years ago, while I was there, I went to all the graveyards and took pictures Um, of stones that I thought some of them might be relatives. I made sure I got those pictures so I would have names and birth dates and death dates. And that's very useful when you're trying to do some research. Yeah, it absolutely is. And genealogy travel is a big thing, you know, and I I try to encourage um, people to actually go do it in the U.S. Because I think what they don't realize is, you know, when I'm looking in old records, I can usually find the land your ancestors owned and tell you exactly where it is, maybe find a Google street view of it or send you to it, you know, go look at it. Here's the town they were in. Here's the migration trail they likely took. Here's some records. I've got an 1835 record of my ancestors in kind of on the frontier in Ohio from a primitive Baptist church. Here is the record from 1836 of them joining that church Well, eventually that church built a building in the 1860s and they would have gone there. You know, they were, they were members till they died in the 1880s. So, I mean, I love stuff like that. I love being able to actually connect people to the actual physical places where their family was from. And it's much more possible than you may think it is. 
And churches have a wealth of information, especially in Europe. In Germany, they kept meticulous records. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it depends here, you know, what denomination you're from. I mean, this is the thing that makes genealogy so hard is it's very dependent on location. And the foundation of research in the U.S. is usually county-level records, so things at courthouses like deeds or vital records or court cases or things like that. So it's a little different in the Northeast U.S. where the history goes back farther, and there were town records, and there also were more church records. But when you start getting into the Midwest and into the Western U.S., sometimes in some denominations you had a lot of church records and some you didn't. But the thing that you always had were deeds, marriages, vital records when those started in the late 1800s. It's always possible to find something. And of course, there's always the census. You know, we think of the census as, you know, we all filled it out last year in in the year 2020, but up through 1940 and soon next year, 1950 will come out. It's the entire census with names. And Ah. so that's really the foundation of how you trace a family through time is you start with the census as a foundation and then you fill in with other records. Right. It's interesting when I, you know, like, After my mother died, I guess I got, she died very young, like 63 years old, almost 64. But I started getting more interested in the family history. I knew a lot of it, but not all of it. And then when my father died, I still came up with more questions, but now he was gone. So I couldn't really go to him and ask him questions. One of the big questions I had is what year did my mother become an American citizen. I still can't find that. I don't know where to find it, but I would like to know what year she became a citizen. I think it was probably right after I was born. So I was born in 1950. So maybe somewhere between 50 and 55 or or maybe even up to 60. But I know she was a citizen. I just don't know when. So it would be interesting to know that. Right. Well, and so that's an example of a record that changed over time. So originally, say in the 1800s, those would have been at probably a local county court where people went to get naturalized. And then as the federal government took it over, in your mother's case, it's probably a federal record. And it would have been through perhaps a U.S. district court or something like that. And the records are more likely to be in the National Archives and, you know, sometimes online through sites like Ancestry. But the thing is, when the federal government took it over, the level of detail in the records became a whole, there was a whole lot more detail. It will tell, you know, exactly where they came from in Europe, for example, and the name of their spouse and their children. So, for example, if you were getting ready to do your trip to Germany, it would be really important to do all the research on the U.S. side first because you want to hit every record you can like that because it may give you a very important clue as to where your family was from. Right. And I actually do know where my family's from, which is great. And we trace my mother's family back to Dorbach, Germany. And the farm still exists and the family still owns it. They pass it down to the oldest son. The oldest son always gets it. So I can trace that. My grandmother came from there. My my or my great grandma, my great grandmother was born on that farm. So we trace it back to there. My grandfather, I don't have as many records about, but I know where my mother grew up. I know where she went to school. I know what church she went to. So I have a lot of that information, which is good. 
And I even know what boat she came over on. So I've got that as well, because she came over at 15. And they really do have a lot of records on people coming over on boats because she came in at Ellis Island. So she had to be there for a couple of days before she was released. And a lot of people did. And then some people came in through other places entirely. So some of the Midwest people that I research actually came up up from New Orleans. Or or if I'm doing, you know, the Great Lakes state, sometimes people came in through, they came in through Canada, honestly, and then came across, you know, Detroit or somewhere like that. And yeah, that's the thing. It never gets dull because there are all these little individual situations. And it's just the fact that you're continually having to regroup and understand how to do research in every different county and every different state. Right. You know, the variety of records that may or may not exist is completely different every time you go to a different location. So that's what keeps genealogy. It's a great thing as you're getting older because it's really keeping your mind sharp and it gives you a lot of opportunity to be a lifelong learner because to be good at it, you need to take into account the history of the area that you're researching in uh, because those factors really matter in terms of why your ancestors might have made the decisions that they made. Right. I found that a lot of people from Germany gravitated to an area in the United States that looked like home to them. So if they came from a mountainous region, they looked for mountains here. If it was more flat, they had flat areas were more for them. So right. Well, and one of those reasons is related to what crops they knew how to grow. You know, so they would go, and this is true of migration in the U.S. as well. If you look at people, you know, I live in Ohio. Ohio was the first state to open up in the Northwest Territory after the Revolutionary War. And so we were seeing settlement here in the 1790s. And Ohio filled up pretty fast. So people started moving west. But you can, I've studied this in old census records of where did people from Ohio migrate to? Um, They tended to go straight west. So they would end up in Iowa or they would end up in Kansas by the 1880s or places like that. And partly that was related to, you know, there there really is an association with what latitude you lived at to go straight west. Right. And you're kind of more familiar with that. I mean, if you're going to go south, things could be very different. There could be mountains that you have to deal with that you're not aware of. But if you just kind of go west, it's probably a little easier. Right. And there's all kinds of factors. So I'll throw John Deere out there, you know, the inventor of the steel plow in the late 1830s. Well, people didn't want to live on the prairie because they didn't know how to cut the prairie sod to be able to till the land until he invented The technology changes matter too. And the other thing I think is really interesting to look at is old railroad maps because, you know, I think a lot of us think about our ancestors going west in a covered wagon, but that wasn't necessarily so. If it was after 1850, they probably took the train. Isn't that fascinating? Oh my God, I wouldn't have thought of that either. Interesting. But yeah, but the train tracks are just going to show you where everybody went. Everything was in that direction. So it is a good thing to follow. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But one of my favorite things that I did one time was I I was working with a colleague. um, This is before I left corporate, but I was already working on genealogy. And she had been studying her ancestors who had they had traveled west on the Oregon Trail, and we happened to be in Kansas City on business. And I said, well, you know, you can actually still see the trail here in Kansas City. There's a park here, you know, because people went, they went west 
up the Missouri River on a steamboat and they get off at Independence, Missouri or Westport Landing and they would stock up and get they, they'd get their covered wagon. This is like 1840s to 1860s. And they would get, you know, they would get all their supplies and get ready to get on the Oregon Trail. But there is a, a city park in Kansas City, southern Kansas City, where you can still see the ruts in the earth of where the wagons pulled across a creek and up the hill. And this is what 150 really? years later. Yeah. Wow. And so like I had her stand there and I took her picture and she just like, she's like ready to cry. I mean, she's like, I've, I've researched these people. They came right across the spot. And it was like, it just gives you chills. And it that's, does. Yeah, that's, that's, what, fascinating. that's what I love for people to experience because those places are all still around us and the opportunity is great to still uncover those. Absolutely. And you know what's funny? When my ancestors came from Germany, I live in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is the county seat in Bucks County. And we've got this Doylestown hotel that, you know, I didn't pay a lot of attention to when I first moved here 20 years ago. But I found out down the road that my uncle and some of my aunts actually worked there before they went on and did other things. One of them moved to Louisiana, where he bought a house. There was oil on his ground, so he wound up being very wealthy down the road. The others actually opened up their own restaurants, but they started in Doylestown. And I really did. I thought they started in Newtown, which is like a half an hour from here, because that's where the restaurant was that the one opened. The other one was in Quakertown. So I knew about those, but I didn't realize that they started in Doylestown. And the reason they started here was it was a German couple who owned the hotel and restaurant. They needed people to work for them. They all of these old inns and hotels have rooms above. So the people sleep there, they work there, they do everything right. Years ago, that's the way it was. So yeah. when they came over, they usually worked in restaurants, it seemed, or my family did at least. Well, and if you are, you know, looking in the 1900s, for example, most big cities or even smaller cities had city directories. It wasn't quite a phone book. It was a listing of all people. And then they started, you know, they would usually give like their name, it'd give their occupation, it would give their home address, possibly their business address. So you can go year by year by year through those city directories and trace somebody's locations and trace their employment. Then you can look in the back of the thing. Let's say they worked at that restaurant. You can find an ad for the restaurant, for example. And then a lot of the newspapers from the 1900s and late 1800s have been digitized. So you can do a name search, a keyword search on those newspapers and find articles on them. And I'll tell you, those articles in the late 1800s, it was like the Facebook of the time because it would tell when somebody's, you know, had visitors in their home. It would tell when they were going to visit somebody. This is how I found really? out my, my great great grandmother was getting taken to the mental institution by the county judge. Well, that spurred a lot of research, let me tell you. But, <laughs> but wow. <laughs> but those are the kind of things that you just would have no idea that you can get all these little details sometimes about their lives. And be able to really appreciate how you became who you are and, you know, whose shoulders you stand on. I love that. I just love doing that research. I love finding that out. Now, if someone wanted to find a city directory, where would they go for that? Because that's not necessarily online. Would that be at the public library or? Well, it depends. If you're already doing genealogy, there a lot of them are on Ancestry in the U.S. Okay. city directories collection. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, okay. But generally the answer is you want to go to whatever the big city library is, look for their genealogy section. They probably hold the old city directories in most cases. Again, it's one of those things that it can be anywhere, but I'd say city directories most of the time are at the big public library. Right, right. And then you have the courthouses to go for court records for certain Exactly, exactly. And some of that stuff is online. You know, there, there really are several large genealogy databases. I mean, everybody hears about Ancestry because they do advertising, but family search is every bit as big and it's free, you know, and people use that. And there's many, many, many records on it. So Good to know. genealogy is one of those things that if you're going to get into it, I'd really advise get some education about it. I like to liken it to like an iceberg. Like you get into it and you think, okay, it's vital records. So it's birth, marriage, death, and it might be the census. And it's like, you've just seen the tip of the iceberg and most of the icebergs under the water. Well, you need to get educated. So you start seeing what's under the water because you're missing, you know, 80% of what's out there. And that's where you find the fascinating tidbits and stories, right? About oh, yeah, ancestors. yeah. That's exa- where you find exactly. really interesting information. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. And that's where you find the interesting things. But, you know, for a professional, in order to break through a brick wall, we all call it a brick wall when you go back in time and you get stuck. To go through a brick wall, you have to use all the records that are out there. And a lot of times what you actually have to do is research all the people around your person. So one of the things that you learn pretty quickly is people didn't move by themselves. You know, like a family these days would maybe be more likely to just pick up and move somewhere and not know anybody. That wasn't the case so much then because they needed that societal support to go live on the prairie, you know. So usually the people that they interacted with, so these would be people who maybe uh, witnessed their deeds or people who were their neighbors, often are their kin. So they're often, it might be their in-laws you know, might be a cousin, might be, you know, whoever, but you kind of have to like, not just research the individual, but research the group of people. Because if you don't know where your person came from and how they, you know, who their parents are, you need to know who all the people around them are, because one of their records might tell you where they came from. And then suddenly you've broken through a wall. So genealogy is is just another reason I, you know, say it's so interesting and so challenging and the rewards of, of being able to actually make those connections are pretty great. Mm, they sound it. Now, what kind of a circumstance would someone be interested in hiring you? Like what kind of roadblocks do you see? Or do people have you do the research when they just don't have the time? Like what kind of people come to you for help? I do a number of different things. So, you know, I talked earlier about what I do for attorneys, but, you know, for an individual, if they do their own research, they might hire me when they um, want coaching. Like maybe they want to see the part of the iceberg that's under the water and they, you know, they've gotten kind of stuck and they want to grow as a genealogist and want to know what to do next. So they might hire me like a coach and I might do that. Other times I'm hired because of my specialty in the Midwest. So I know the records, Um, perhaps the person I'm working for lives in California. I've had that happen several times where I have the ability to go locally to places and because not everything's online. So I can go to our state archives or I can go to the local courthouse or whatever. So sometimes I do that. Other times it's to break through a brick wall. A really common one is not being able to find a woman's parents before 1850. So One thing is we all use the old census records, but 
it wasn't until 1850 that every name was in the census. Before that, it was only heads of household and they were usually men. So they would have like little tick marks in age columns for the rest of the family. But women were so hidden because first there is a tick mark in their father's record, and then they're hidden as a tick mark in their husband's record. Maybe there was a marriage record, probably, but until 1850, her name wasn't there. And the only place you might find her might be perhaps in a religious record, if there was such a thing at the place you were and the time you were. And perhaps in she would turn up in deeds because she had to, if her husband was trying to sell, to sell land, the judge examined her to make sure it was okay, because it was going to be part of what she inherited if he died. So she had to sign off on him selling land. So her name might appear there. And it might appear in a probate file where her father dies or her husband dies or someone, you know, suddenly then she gets a name. But, you know, it's a really interesting conundrum trying to find the parents of women early on. Wow. And then women marrying and taking the husband's name, that all complicates it even more. Oh, of course. Yeah, that's still a (laughs) problem. Well, that's even a problem if I'm coming forward in time and researching, trying to find living people. That's always a problem. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Well, this is fascinating. It's just so interesting. And, you know, I'm getting more and more into wanting to learn more about my relatives, even though I know a ton already. I really do. I know way more than a lot of people do, but it's still so fascinating. And actually, I don't know as much about my husband's family, so I might want to do more research there. He's from Germany as well. And I really only know about his grandmother and his aunts and uncles, and that's it. So that might be something I want to research as time goes by. Right, right. Well, the advice that I give people is before you would even, you know, try to hire a genealogist or, you know, try to move forward on that, the the simple things that everybody needs to do is talk to your parents, talk to your parents and your older relatives while they're still around, capture the information somehow, record it, an audio, record a video, take notes, do something, but ask them to show you old pictures Make sure you get those things labeled before they labeled. pass on. Yeah, it's so important because I've got piles who are these pictures people? with no labels. Oh, yeah. And so that will really help you later. If they have, you know, precious memorabilia, like, you know, pieces of your mom's crystal collection or whatever, mm-hmm. have them tell you the story behind each one and who it came from and, you know, what they know about it. So, you know, use your opportunities as you see your older family members to, you know, ask them simple questions about, you know, what was going to school like when you were a kid or what's your favorite memory of doing something with a friend or when you had holidays, who showed up at your house? You know, what do you remember about the holidays? Whatever, but capture those things because some of those things are not something that you can uncover through genealogy. Some of those family stories, you would not be able to capture that and you want to. So that's always the first thing to do. I think people go through a lot of hard times when their parents pass and trying to figure out what to do with all their stuff. And it would help you immensely to know what's important before you have to stand there cleaning out their house. All you have to do is talk to them and ask them ahead of time. What's important? You know, what do you think we need to keep passing on? Right. You know? Right. Yeah. 
And one thing I've done since I've been a kid, I keep letters. Anyone who sends me a letter, I probably still have it. And I've got letters from when I was a kid at camp. You know, my mother would write me. (laughs) I've got those letters. Friends wrote me letters or postcards. And I kept that. My grandmother, when I got married, wrote me a card along with the gift. And of course, her English was very broken, but I love it. It's such a great because it just it's what she was all about. So when I read it, I think of her right away. So I keep everything. I I mean, a lot of my family doesn't, but I do. I've got all, I've had a letter my brother wrote me and he's been dead many, many years now. And he used to use the word aardvark. That was his kind of term for himself. And I can't remember why he, but he signed every letter aardvark and he would write long, long letters. So I've got all of his letters and he's not around anymore. And you really, get a sense of who he was by reading his letters. Right, right. So they're important to pass on to other people too, even though like no one's going to know who that was later, but if they do research and now they have a letter to look at, it's just so much better. Right, right. Well, and just think about too, you could preserve that if you took photos of the letters and you transcribed the letters and created a small book of them. I think I'm going to do that. Yeah, because, you know, that will maybe be more long lasting. And so what I like to tell people is that, especially boomers, you're the bridge between your ancestors and your kids, and you need to strengthen that bridge. It's your opportunity to make your family history part of the legacy that you leave. And, you know, if you define legacy as the thoughtful process of deciding on the gifts that you want to give to future generations, right? I mean, it's more than money. It should be more than money. It should be, you know, your wisdom. It should be your family history, but you know, your opportunity is to capture that and pass it on before it's too late. Yes. Yes. Because for me, it's too late. My parents are both gone. I can't ask them anything. I have an elderly aunt. She just turned 95, but she has dementia. So I used to visit her a lot and ask as many questions as I could, but we didn't ask everything. So there's always a few things we wish we had asked. (laughs) So the more you talk about, the more then maybe you won't have those regrets later. Get the questions out. And, And, you know, holidays are perfect time. Thanksgiving, everyone's together. And instead of talking about politics. Talk about family history. It's so much more interesting than no one's going to fight. And, you know, even some of the young kids might be interested in hearing about that. So right, right. The perfect time to start talking. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to get that conversation going, you know, get hold of some pictures and ask them what they remember about those people. I mean, kids would love to look at some of those kinds of things. Absolutely. And the earlier you can get them, get them interested in it. And I think another thing that really helps with kids is take them to some of the places, you know, go visit some of those small towns and, and find some local history museums that have the kind of things that would have been in their house. There's so many opportunities like that. And it's, it's so possible to find those things out about your own family, you know, through doing a little genealogy research. It really is. And now's the perfect time for that because so many people are doing homeschooling because of the pandemic. So, I mean, that's a perfect segue into learning. Take them someplace local and show them. And it's perfect for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it makes history seem real to them. I mean, like I can tell you about my fourth great grandfather who was 
born in like 1765. And in the 1780s, he was living in far eastern Tennessee, part of North Kent. That group of men who lived there were defying the British. They had crossed the lines, you know, of where the British said that they could live. And they were, you know, literally having, you know, building forts to protect themselves from from raids from Native Americans. And, you know, they were doing kind of what they needed to do to survive on the frontier, but they formed their own self-government. And then they decided they wanted to form their own state. So if you Google the lost state of Franklin, there was this group of men who were trying to create a state right after the Revolutionary War. Well, my ancestors signed the petition for that. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, that's really cool. (laughs) But you can go like I took my daughter there and my daughter's grown. But, you know, we took a road trip down there and it was so interesting to see where they lived and to go to the little museums there and to figure out, you know, what could we learn about these settlers who were kind of, they were very, very pioneering in terms of, you know, and very self-sufficient. And you learned a lot about the culture and, well, why would they want to form their own state? Really interesting, interesting things, but it sticks with you a lot better when you can tie your own family to the history. It does. It really does. Well, this has been fascinating. I've really enjoyed our time together. I want to thank you for being my guest today. And for anyone, what should give us your contact information before we go? Sure, absolutely. So you can reach me at heritagebridge.com and I think you'll put in the show notes. I have a download for people who listen to kick-ass boomers. And so the link will be in the show notes for that. You can get a download, but you know, certainly you can reach out to me on my website. Um, There's a contact form. I do free consultations. So if you just want to chat about genealogy and what's possible or, you know, how you might get started, I am happy, absolutely happy to do that. Oh, that's great. I really appreciate that. I think the boomer nation that's listening is going to love that too, because maybe someone's stuck and just needs a little bit of help. So that'll be great. Well, thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate this was great information. It's going to be great for my audience. They're going to love it. (laughs) Thanks so much, Terry. Really enjoyed being here. Thank you. And look in the show notes at kickassboomers.com and you'll see Laurie's picture. You click on that and all the show notes will be there. So you'll be able to find her contact information and look for the free download. That's important. So thank you so much. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old.